All right. Uh, turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. And let's stand as we read the words of our God. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning in verse 14. Paul is writing this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. These are the words of our God to us. I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For those of you, though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. That is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. Some are arrogant as though I were not coming to you, but I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills. And I will find, I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. What do you wish? Shall I come with a rod or with love in a spirit of gentleness? And all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. Uh, for those of you who don't know why we recite, you can be seated. For all those who don't know why we recite those words after reading the text, uh, those of you who've been going through Exodus on Wednesday nights, you know that's what the people of God uh, would often say after hearing the word of God. Uh, they would say, all the Lord has spoken, we will do. And so that was a constant refrain throughout the Old Testament and one I think would be good when you hear the word of God is to say, what you've said, we will do. Just a, a pledge and also uh, a reminder. So we've been we've been looking at the, the as we continue to, to have our, our brothers uh, that we have sent, and we want to keep them on our minds, we've been uh, looking at the types of things the Bible tells us to consider when we take up the task of uh, sending. Paul would often send people to help churches, uh, just like we're sending people to help churches in Tanzania. Uh, and in his letters, he would explain the, the good that came out of the sending, as well as the reasons he sent the people and his thoughts in making those decisions and why he sent certain people and, and why he didn't send other people, as we saw in that first week. And, and those are helpful to us. Those are helpful to us because we've taken up this task of sending, and they're going to show us um, the things that we too should be thinking about as we've got an extension of our body uh, somewhere else. Part of the body of First Baptist Beggs is in Tanzania for a month. Now, why? What, what good comes of that? Why do that? What responsibilities do we have in the sinning? That's what we've been looking at. What blessings come to us? So Zach and, and Ralph are there. What blessings can we expect to reap so that we remain excited about their work there? Their work there is going to bless us here, not just bless them over there, but bless us. And what responsibilities do we have uh, when we do decide to send someone? What should our thoughts be? What should be the driving factors in sending? What should be our, our motivations? Uh, looking at what were Paul's. Because again, you can't just say, oh, sending people is good. Let's just, let's just send. Let's just send uh, anyone uh, for any reason. Let's just do it. That's not, that's not what the Bible says uh, Paul did in sending, and that's the, the methods we've got to follow. And so, so far we've seen a few blessings. We've seen a few responsibilities in terms of blessings. We've seen the blessing of uh, affirmed or, or confirmed faith that we're able to see that their faith is genuine and they can uh, see that ours is genuine. We see the, the joy of reunion with people that you know and people that you love, people that you care about. Those are all good blessings that come, but we've also seen some responsibilities. Uh, we've seen that there must be a mutual concern. Uh, don't go 
if you don't care about the people you're going to. Don't just go because there are people there. If you don't care about them, don't go. This isn't about making you feel good about yourself. Uh, and don't go if they don't care about you. Uh, we don't, like we said, we don't want to grow leeches. Uh, we, they don't care and they just want us to come and, and you know, do our stuff and, and us to spend our money there. Well, then we, we don't go. There should be mutual concern. Uh, we also saw it to send worthy workers. But we cannot just send anyone. The people that we send must be worthy of the task. Uh, sending is not a tool that the church uses to motivate people toward godwardness. Hey, this person's not really growing in their Christian faith. What should we do? Let's send them on a mission trip. That's not what the Bible says. And the Bible actually says, no, that's when he goes, no, you're not going uh, on the trip. Uh, the, we send uh, uh, proven people, not, not, not in order to prove uh, people. And then we, we saw that we need to go with speed, but not haste. If there's a need... Uh, we go because there's a need. If there's not a need, you don't go. And if there is a need, go as quickly as you can. But you don't go hastily. Uh, don't go in a way that hinders the work that God requires of you here. So you see a need over there that you cannot uh, abdicate your needs here, your responsibilities here, and go, it's okay to abdicate our responsibilities here because we're going over there. No, you, you only go over there. You go over there as quickly as you can. And you can only do that when you've handled the things here. So go speedily, but not hastily. Uh, and then treasure those who go. Uh, we saw treasuring those who go that someone who is sent should be honored. They should be honored by the churches that are receiving them. If someone sends someone to us, we should honor them. This is a worthy worker that uh, from another church that that church has seen worthy uh, to send to us. We should, we should honor that and they should be uh, honored uh, by us when they return. So the churches over there should honor them. We should honor them when they return. These were representatives of our body that we were able to send across uh, the globe. We should recognize how lucky we are to have people uh, that God is growing in our church that meet that qualification of being worthy workers. That's a work of the Lord in our body. It's not just great for Zach. It's not just great for Ralph. It's great for us. And we should rejoice in that. These are tools just used over there temporarily, but we get to use uh, all year long. And then lastly, we saw that uh, our interactions must always be seen through the lens of the Lordship of Christ. So we do all this because Christ is Lord. Uh, we, we see uh, our brothers we're sending to, we see them in the Lord. Uh, Christ is Lord must drive everything that we do as a church, and it must drive our sending. And we saw if Christ uh, as Lord is not driving everything we do now, it's not going to drive uh, our sending. So that's what we learned the last two times that Paul sent someone. We saw those lessons first time when Paul sent uh, uh, Timothy to the Ephesians, and then we l- learned also lessons when he sent Epaphroditus uh, 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 to the, I said Ephesians, to the Philippians. Uh, but we've got a couple more uh, lessons that I think are important, and these are going to come when Paul sent Timothy again to the church in Corinth. Okay, so we've got, this actually happened before Paul sent him uh, to Philippi, but we've got him sending to Corinth. What lessons about sending and his thoughts when he's writing to Corinthians uh, are going to be helpful for us when we think about sending, whether it's to Tanzania or anywhere else? Even if you were sending to help a church in Okmulgee, these are still the things you need to consider. It's not just when you do foreign missions, these are the things to consider. These are what you consider if you're sending anyone to do anything at any church for any reason. Uh, so what, what can we see in this? What drove Paul to send Timothy and what can we learn? Let's, let's look at 1 Corinthians 4 and we'll begin in verse 14. The first lesson we're going to learn, our first responsibility is we must be worthy of imitating. Okay, so if our church is going to send, our church must not just send because the workers are worthy. We must send when we are worthy of imitation. That the one we're sending in our name, that our name is worthy to be imitated. And and we see this uh, beginning in verse 14. 
He says, I didn't write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then be imitators of me. That is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. So, so Paul says here that he sent Timothy as to, to remind the Corinthians of his own Christian walk. And Paul's words are, are filled with uh, the desire for them to be like him. He says, hey, you've had many guides, but you've only, got, you've only had one father. He's their father through the preaching of the gospel. Probably implying that Paul is the one who first preached the gospel to them. They came to faith through Paul's teaching. So he's like a father to them. Uh, it, that could be uh, possibly uh, what's going on. And he wants them, he says, to imitate them. His desire is for them as his children... Uh, is that his children would be like their father. And so he's sending Timothy, who is himself a faithful child, who is himself a faithful imitator of Paul, he's sending Timothy to show them what a child is supposed to look like. To remind them of the type of faith that they should be imitating. So he's sending Timothy so that Timothy shows them what it looks like in someone who imitates who imitates Paul. Now, often, we might sort of uh, prickle at this idea that Paul is sending someone and saying, hey, I'm sending Timothy. Why are you sending Timothy? So that you will be like me. Uh, we would sometimes do a little Victorian, oh, no, uh, I can't, I can't, we don't want him uh, to, be, to be like us. We don't want them to imitate us. Uh, we want them to not, you know, we even say things like, we don't even want them to see us but to instead just see Jesus. That's uh, okay. I mean, it sounds a little pietistic when you say that. Like we don't, we don't even want them to remember that we were here. We just want them to see Jesus when we leave. I've, I've, I've heard that before. Paul certainly is not concerned with that. Uh, he doesn't say, I'm sending you Timothy, and my hope is that when Timothy's done, you won't even remember Timothy, and you won't remember me. You'll remember only Christ. That's not what he says. He says, I'm sending Timothy, so you'll remember me. So you'll imitate me. Now, why? Because Paul himself is imitating Christ. That's what Paul's worried about. Because who is he imitating? He said, you imitate me because I am imitating Christ. He's going to say this a little later in 1 Corinthians. Flip down to chapter 11 real quick. You're just going to be there for a second. You can take my word for it. Or if you don't believe me, you can look it up. Uh, But in 1 Corinthians 11 verse 1, he says, be imitators of me as I am of what? Of Christ. He actually said the, uh, the same thing. So, he, so, so he, wa- he wants them to imitate him. Why? Because he knows his life is an imitation. And who is he imitating in his life? His life is an imitation of Christ. So he wants his children to be like their father because he is a child who is like his father. He actually said the same, he said the same thing to the Philippians in Philippians chapter 3. We just didn't see it. But in Philippians chapter 3 verse 17, he told them to imitate him too. So again, he sent Timothy to them and he says, well, you know, I want you to imitate me. Philippians 3 17, brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. So imitate me and imitate other people who are walking like us. Other people like us. Because why? Because he knows he is imitating Christ. And those who walk like him are imitating Christ. So here is the the first responsibility we see in in sending someone. 
you, you, we must be a church worth imitating. If you're going to send someone, send them uh, to remind uh, or to teach what is good, what solid Christian faith looks like, and that means you yourself must have a solid Christian faith. You can't just send over and go, hey, here is a description of solid Christian faith. Let me read about it to you. You guys do that. You should be sending people over to teach solid Christian faith because that's what you're also living. You're also living a solid Christian faith here. You're living a life that can be imitated. Paul will say in Philippians chapter 4 verse 9, what you have learned and received and heard in and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. We must only send and we must only go if we are a church worth imitating. And, and while there, we must make sure that they see things to imitate. They don't just need us to guide them. They need you to model for them what the Christian faith looks like. So part of what we must do is if we're going to send, we, like Paul, must be... So when we're sending Zach and Ralph, they are an imitation of what our church is like here. We're not sending people who are nothing like us. We're not like, they're the only people we got. We're a bunch of, we're a bunch of roustabouts over here. Uh, and, you know, we, we don't want them to be, but we've got two good ones. You know, as a church, we're horrible. But we got two people that are kind of okay, so let's send them. That's not what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, you send these people, they're an extension of you. They are you. They're not just imitating Zach. And they're not just imitating Ralph. In Zach and Ralph, they see a picture of us. And for us to send anybody, we must be a church worth imitating. That's what Paul says. I'm sending Timothy. Why? So that you'll imitate me. That you'll imitate my faith. And he says it over and over to, to multiple churches. Imitate me. What you've heard and seen in me, do those things. Practice those things. So the first thing, we must be a church worth imitating. Second, look at verse 18. Some are arrogant as though I were not coming to you, but I will come to you soon. If the Lord wills, and I will find uh, out not the talk of these arrogant people, uh, but their power. Now, now here is, we saw one before. Here's one of the few verses about sending that deals with timing of the sending, of when you send. You know, we saw, we saw earlier, uh, go speedily, but not hastily. We see something similar here, another form of humility here. Uh, because he says, some people thought in their arrogance that Paul wasn't going to show up. But Paul, that he was afraid of them. Oh, he's just afraid Paul's all talk. He's going to show up because we're here and he's intimidated. Paul says, that's not why I'm not there. In fact, I plan to come to you soon. What do you say? If the Lord wills. So Paul's going to come as soon, speedily, right? There's a speedily. But what's the other part of the speedily? If the Lord wills. So go speedily, but not hastily. Go speedily, but don't abdicate your responsibilities. Go speedily, go soon. But understand the humility of you. You go as soon as you can under the Lord's will. And here's our next responsibility. Submit to the Lord's timing. So in sending, we must submit to the Lord's timing, not ours. And we must always remember that. You have a great idea. Church, you have a great idea. Great mission. Great work. It must all, and we, we may even want to go soon. Like Paul says, I'm going to come soon. But we're always recognizing, if the Lord wills, I'll come soon. We must never be arrogant in, a church must never be arrogant in assuming that we know the whens and hows of our going. There can be a very pressing issue that requires all speed. Like the, I mean, if there was a church 
that had pressing needs. It would be the Corinthian church. If there would be a church that Paul could say, I'm dropping everything I'm doing in every other church and I'm getting there to deal with what all that is, it would be the Corinthian church. And yet Paul had to say, I will be there soon. And yet what? If the Lord wills. We must never forget the humility of saying, the Lord will make the way and we are bound by his will. In a similar situation in Thessalonica, Paul sent Timothy, and now Timothy's back, and Paul wants to go and see them himself. So that's what happened. He'd sent Timothy again. So he sent Timothy, Timothy came back. Now Paul wants to go. And what, look at what he says in Philipp, uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 11. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. So sent Timothy, Timothy came back. Paul wants to go, and yet he says... I still have to humbly recognize if I'm going to make it, it's going to be because the Lord directs our way to you. It's going to be because the Lord wills it and he guides it. In sending, there must always be a prayerful humility about the timing, a prayerful humility about when we go. And many times in Paul's ministries to different churches, you hear him talk about how he wishes he could go, how he had planned, you think about the Romans, how he had other, all these churches where he wanted to be there, he, he wants to see them, he wishes he could be there, or how he hoped to finally be able to visit them. Meaning that he'd been wanting to visit them for a long time, wanting to be there for a long time. Even Paul's wants and Paul's wishes, the apostle. His wants and wishes for the timing of, uh, of sending were subject to God's will and work. Paul wanted to come soon, but he knew that he had to submit to the Lord's timing, not his own. And when we send anybody, or when we ourselves are sent, we must always recognize humbly that we go in the Lord's timing, not ours. That we ask God to direct our way, not just us to direct our way. I'll give you a, a, one more lesson from, from this passage before we quickly look at another place in Corinthians. We can see a, a really good lesson there. Verse 19. Look at verse 19. But I will come to you soon, uh, if the Lord wills, and I'll find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love in a spirit of gentleness? So Paul's going to come to them sometime, whenever the Lord wills. And he's going to come not just in talk, but in power. And he wants to know, now what message am I going to bring when I come? And they're going to determine that. Is he going to bring a message delivered with a rod? Or is he going to bring a message delivered in a spirit of gentleness? And here's the responsibility that we see in the sending. We must determine the most needed message for those we're going to. When we're sending, we cannot just do a cookie cutter sending. You know what churches need to hear? All churches need to hear this. And so we've got this program of things, no matter the situation of church, we'll just go and that's what we're going to say to them. So we're going to, you know, First Baptist Church, Morgoro, Tanzania. Well, what are we going to say there? We don't have to think about it. We've got package A. 
Package A is what we always say when we go to churches. It's so good, that's what we're going to do. If anybody had a package A, it would be a capital A for apostle. If anybody had a package A that they could deliver to every church, it would be Paul. And what he delivered to every church was the same, but how he delivered it was not. And here Paul, Paul's, gonna, Paul's message is going to be the same. The question is going to be how he's going to deliver it. Do I deliver it with a rod? Or do I deliver it in a spirit of gentleness? Our job is not always just to send the happy squad, right? Just send the happy people, the pretty happy people. Just send those over there and, and everything's going to be great. If, if you're sending to people, we must be prepared as a church to send the rod team, right? We must, and we must know that that's what they need. We must, so Paul's over here saying, when I come, what am I going to need to be delivering? We must be so aware of the situation of the churches over there and the men that we're going to visit and the churches we're going to visit that we know whether or not we're going to come with love in a spirit of gentleness or whether we're going to bring the power of the rod. And we must be willing to do either one of those things. We must be willing to do both of those things. We must determine what the message must be. It was the church here that, that would determine what Paul was going to say by what he saw that they needed to hear. He says that could be a pleasant message or it could be a rod. But you're going to determine it. And so he says, Corinthians, you're going to determine it. What do you wish? What do you wish, he says in verse 21. Shall I come to you with a rod or with love in a spirit of gentleness? Now what's interesting is both of those are powerful. Both of them, he said, I'm going to come in power. He doesn't question whether or not he's going to be. He's not like, I'm going to come in power because I'm bringing the rod. Both of those are powerful. The rod or love, the rod or gentleness. Both of those would be powerful. But their power is determined by their need. In this, if a gentle word to a church that needs a rod is not helpful and therefore not powerful. But neither would a rod to the backs of those who need a gentle word be powerful. You have to know the church well enough to know what they need and you have to care about them enough to give them what they need even if what they need is a rod rather than a smile. Here's the reality. Every church needs a pat on the back. The question is how firm you deliver it. But we must know the message that we need to deliver. We determine the most needed message when we send. Can't just blanket send people with a blanket message. You have to know the church. You have to know the message and the method with which you're going to deliver it. Uh, let's look at, at one final lesson uh, from Paul's sending. And this one comes a little later in Corinthians. First, first Corinthians 16. So go to, go to chapter 16. First Corinthians 16, verses 5 through 9. He says, I will visit you after passing through Macedonia, for I intend to pass through Macedonia, and perhaps we'll stay with you or even spend the winter, so you may help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to see you now just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits. But I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost. For a wide door for effective work has opened to me and there are many adversaries. So so Paul is wanting to come himself to visit the church in Corinth again. He's passing that way. He wants to see them uh, and and allow them to to help him. Uh, Again, we, we see him. Uh, do this, he says, if the Lord permits. Uh, another reference to Paul's humility and the timing of this. But what I'm most interested in is, is why he says he isn't able to come yet. And it's because he's going somewhere else first. Or rather, he's staying 
somewhere else first. You see this down in verse 8. So he says, but, so he says, I long to come to you. Lord wills it. I'll be there. I want to spend time with you. Lord permits, but I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost. For a wide door for effective work has opened to me and there are many adversaries. He wants to come to them, but he is compelled to stay in Ephesus. Why? Because he says a wide door for effective work and because there are many adversaries. And here's a a helpful, I think, rule for sending, or at least a helpful way to view where to go, when to go, things like that. Helpful responsibility. When you're figuring out where to go, when to go, why to go, all those things, look, look for open doors. And look for enemy opposition. The two things you want to look for. Open doors and enemy opposition. Because that's what Paul said. He's got an open door. But what's the open door? He says, the open door is not an easy door here. He's got an open door and an effective door. But what? But it's one with many adversaries. Sometimes I've heard people say, well, if it's God's will, won't it be easy? As if the presence of the enemy means the, ab- uh, the, 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 the presence of the enemy means that God's not in it, the absence of God. Uh, when someone says that, I, I often wonder uh, how much how much Bible those people have actually read, because one thing I think you would get from Bible reading is the right choice is not always the easiest choice. It sounds like they've listened to more, you know, uh, Care Bears than the Cross, and maybe, you know, more Dr. Phil uh, than the Apostle Paul. Here, Paul sees the opposition to the work. He sees the opposition as the sign that that's why he needs to stay in there until the enemy's defeated. An open door. So here's here's a lesson. An open door is not an easy door. An open door is a chance to get in the fight. So I would say if you saw an open door and no opposition, you should be more concerned than if you saw an open door and it was filled with opposition. That's probably the door you choose. If you've got two choices of where to go and what to do, and you've got one door that's open, and it's like stepping into the Bahamas of mission work, right? And you've got another work that's open, and it looks like you're going into the Gulag archipelago. Choose the Gulag. Choose the one filled with enemy opposition. That's the one you go to first. Because that's what Paul says. Paul says, I want to come to you. There's a lot going on. But I'm going to say in Ephesus, why? There's an effective door. So opposition is not going to affect the effectiveness of the work. There's an, effect, there's an effective work there, an open door, and many adversaries. So the Paul's like, that's what I'm doing. That's where I'm going. That's where I'm staying. So what, are, what responsibilities of sending do we see here? And this is, this is wrapping up. Uh, we'll have to shoot through all of these every time we send. These will be good things to remember and things we've got to remember uh, every day. What, what responsibilities, though, did we see today? Be worth imitating. Submit to God's timing. Determine the most needed message and method. And then look for open doors and enemy opposition. So when we send, those are things that Paul says, this is what he looks for, this is what he considered, this is what guided his choices. And when to send, how to send, where to send. These are things he, he did. So what uses can we get out of that? How can we take that and apply that to First Baptist Begs? What must we, as, as a pastor, what, uh, as I was thinking about this, we've got to do this. How can we apply this text to us? Because we've, we've already promised that we would, right? All the Lord has spoken, we will do. 
Uh, and we don't want to just go, well, I don't know how to do it, so then I don't, I don't have to do it because I don't know what to do with that text. So what can we do? What can we do with this text? One, we must be a consistently worthy church. And I put the word consistently in there. I mean, Paul, so Paul was a father to these churches and, and they, uh, like children, could imitate him. Why? Because he was imitating Christ. We are in a position of authority in these churches. They are asking us to send and teach. I mean, we may not be their father. Some of them we might be there. But some of them Ralph is, is, is we're attached as their father because of, of Ralph and his preaching of the gospel there. Uh, was was one of the methods to bring them uh, to the faith. We may not be their father, but we are guiding them. And we need to not only guide them, we must be a model for them, which is, again, why it's important to send worthy workers. It's true both for individuals and it's true for a church. We don't send in order to fix. We don't send in order to fix the people we're sending, and we don't send in order to fix our problems. We don't say, you know what? Our church is really lagging behind. Our church isn't really doing what they need to do. What can we do? Let's rouse ourselves with a good old mission trip. Let's, let's go, and if we all go to Africa and we all have that white man's burden of going and preaching the gospel, all of a sudden we'll feel really good about ourselves and we'll be fired up for the gospel. That's not what we do. It's not the, uh, uh, sending is not meant to be a boost or a fix for a broken body. So that means we prove ours, not only must the workers we send be worthy, we must be worthy to send anybody. And, not, and that's not done by how you handle the four weeks that a mission trip is going on. Or the lead up to the mission trip. Or the lead up to the sending. It's how we handle every day as a church body. Now, does that mean we need to be perfect? No. It doesn't mean we need to be perfect in order to send anybody. But it does mean that, that our church's everyday life matters. What our church is matters. And we've got to see if our church is worthy to send anybody. Not even, not even if, those, if our church isn't worthy. Even if we've got some worthy workers, but our church isn't worthy. That's a problem. I mean, they'll be an imitation of us. That's what we're, we're sending these people to be an imitation of us. They're, the faith that has grown in them through us is what they will send over there. And the hope is that they will imitate the faith that we've got, we've got here. The question is, will that be a, an imitation worth imitating? Will they see Christ in us? Because Christ is who we ourselves are imitating every week. Because it's who we're imitating every day. Again, a church is made up of the sum of our parts. So the world will say that a church is worth uh, imitating based on the church's methods uh, and the success of those methods. So they will evaluate the church as, as a model because they do this or they have that. So then let's model that over there and that will be worth imitating. But that's not what he's saying. We're not saying plant the, plant the programs and practices of FBC Begs over there. That's not what makes a model church. A church is not made worthy by its programs or its practices. A church is made worthy by its people. It's not saying, hey, go over there because we do a really good this and they can do a really good this and they can model that or, or our church is set up this way so we'll, you, if you set it up that way, it's going to be really effective. No, what they're supposed to model is us. Are we worth imitating? Are we worth modeling? If we are going to be worth imitating, it will be because each one of us is worth imitating. Our church will be worth imitating if you are worth imitating. So think about our church sending. If our church was sending and the model would be you, 
and your Christian faith and your life and your obedience, your submission, your humility. That's the example that they're going to do over there. Will that be something worth them imitating? Or are you thinking about all the things you don't want them to imitate? If the worth of our church was based on the Christ-likeness of your life, would we as a church ever be allowed to sin? Would we meet this criteria of being someone worth imitating? Again, if our church was you, would we be worthy to send anybody? Would, would they see Christ in you in a way that they could imitate and that be a healthy church? Or would you have to say, no, 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 don't, don't, don't imitate me. No, you don't want to imitate me. Why? I mean, get rid of the false piety. Get rid of the fake humility that you're not supposed to have. There's like, oh, no, 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 no. Be like Paul, recognizing you better be imitating Christ. If you're imitating Christ, you are worth imitating. So if you're like, no, 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 they don't want to imitate me. Why? Why? What is it that your life is lacking? You know, if they imitated me, they wouldn't do this and that. Well, then add that to your life now. Add it. If I said imitate you and you said, no, 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 you want to imitate me because I don't this and I don't that and I don't, well, then do that. Do those things. Add them. Or what is it that your life has? You go, oh, you don't, you don't want a bunch of me's over there because that would be bad. They'd be doing this. Well, stop doing that. Stop being that. If you already know what it is, get, get rid of it. It's as simple as that. It's as simple as that. You do those, if, you, if you know why you shouldn't be imitated, it's because you don't do this. Start doing those things and you'll be worth imitating. If you know, oh, they can't imitate me because I do these things, quit doing them. Simple. And start doing that every day. That's the Christian faith. That's the Christian life. You want to be someone that's worth imitating so that our church can be a body worth imitating? Follow that simple Christian formula. What is it? What what was that that we just described? Repent and believe. That's all that is. It's repent and believe. Repent, get rid of what you should get rid of, and believe, add what God says you must. Believe him when he says you need this in your life. Go, yes, I must. I do need that. I believe you when you say that should be in my life. Repent and believe. Paul says in Colossians, put off and put on. If we're to be a church worth imitating, which means a church that is worthy to send, then it will be because each of us is pursuing to imitate Christ in our daily lives, not just during a season of sending. Are you worth imitating? If not, why not? And use the conviction of God today to fix that. Because that's a, and, don't, and don't feel like a, a lesser Christian if you're like, well, there are things not worth imitating. That's what the Christian life is. Repent and believe. If there's something that the Lord's convicting you about, that this is in your life and it doesn't need to be, repent. If there's something you should be adding, you're having to go, no, I'm not doing this. I know I should, but I, I still don't do that. Add it. Do it. Believe. And in doing that, you'll start setting the model Christian life that they need to follow. Because they don't need to go, us to go over there like some sort of, you know, uh, Christian saints that sort of levitate to Tanzania and bless them and then levitate back to begs. They need us to set the example of repentance and faith. That's what they need to see. And so that's what we must be, that's what we must be doing. Uh, another thing that I think is, is really important, we could talk about trusting the timing uh, not being our own, but we kind of talked about that with speedily, not hastily. I would encourage you to stay, we must stay humble. In sending, even when it's a good work, we must stay humble. And because Paul pointed at that 
in both the passages we read. I do want to point that out, although I'm not going to get a specific use for that because we kind of did that a couple weeks ago. But here's another specific use for us. Uh, God does demand that we deliver the right message the right way. God demands us of that, demands that of us. Uh, we, can, we can fall into two traps, I think, as a church. One is the theology trap, which is to think that our theology is sound and that's what matters, so we're going to bless that church because we got good theology. And Chris got good theology, he's actually got good theology, our church has good theology, so whatever we teach, it's going to be good. They're going to be better because it's good theology. Uh, the content is good. Just give them the content. So that's one trap you can fall in. The, the, the other is, again, the happy trap. Um, the idea that, well, if we send, we're just supposed to be positive. And so whatever you find over there, uh, just be positive. There's a couple of problems with that. W- one problem is you don't know what you're going to find over there yet. You, you should be going because you know what's going on over there. You should have enough of a connection with them to know the situation of their churches. Uh, but the idea that you should just always be positive is, is not the example we see uh, in Scripture. That's not Paul's method. Paul said, uh, he said what, what needed to be said, and, and so must we. If we're, if we're going to send to churches we care about, we've got to model that. We've got, to, we've got to be willing to say, there may be a mission trip where we go to Tanzania and we go with a rod. And there may be a time we go to Tanzania and we go in love with a spirit of gentleness. Again, the message won't change but the method of how we deliver it will. We must be aware of that. And to do that, to do that, to not be hypocrites in it, we've got to be doing that every day in our own lives. It must be practiced in in our church where we deliver the message in the right method. I mean, I I can't just be pussyfooting around everything that I see. I don't know what I do. I just want to, ooh, I see so-and-so sitting this way, but ooh, I can't talk about it. Maybe I'll subtweet about it in a sermon. Right, and so I can't. I get. Oh, I'm afraid to mention it to him. And so uh, let's talk about. Uh, you can't do that. Uh, I I must set the example by being gentle when it is warranted, and being a rod when it is necessary. And the same is true for you as as parents or husbands or or friends. The power of your role will not just be seen in the truthfulness of your message, but in the wisdom also of your methods. So the the power of what you're doing as friends, as parents, as church members, is not just going to be because you got the message right, but the power is also going to be when you have the method right. Because again, the message isn't going to change for Paul. What is going to change is his method of delivery. The right message delivered the right way. But you and I have to know how to do that. And to do that, I, I must know my church. To do that, you must know your family. You must know your friends to know what is needed. There must be a genuine knowledge of what's going on in their life. Not just sort of a base sort of howdy-do. You doing good? Good to see you. Good to see you. I mean, you have no idea what's going on in each other's lives if that's the case. They need to hear the right things from us delivered in the right way. And for us to do that over there, you and I, we must be doing that over here. So when you're thinking of, of, of your life, what friend, what neighbor needs the, the rod of truth from you? You've been afraid to do it. You've just been trying to be, you've just been trying to be love and a spirit of gentleness all the time. And hoping that love and a spirit of gentleness all the time will eventually result in some good. That eventually that love and spirit of gentleness will be powerful. But if they don't need love and the spirit of gentleness... If what they need is the rod, then you're stealing from the power of the message. You're wondering why your message doesn't have any power. because It's either because you don't care about them enough to give the message the right way, or you care about yourself too much. Because it would be awkward. 
it would be awkward to deliver the rod. Some of you, the problem might not be the rod. Some of you might be, you don't know how to be happy. You don't know how to talk to anybody in a nice way. You are good with a rod. You're swinging the rod like you're Alex Rodriguez. Uh, You're swinging that bat all around. Uh, But you don't know, you don't know people enough to know that what they need from you is not the rod but love. You can fall into the ditch on, on either side of that road. But if you know, if you know your friends, if you know your family well enough, you'll know what they need to hear and how they need to hear it. The question is, will you deliver it that way? Or will you not care about them enough to deliver it that way? Or will you care too much about yourself to deliver it that way? Practice those things now because they've got to be in our lives then when we go. And if we're going to be a church worthy of imitating, we must be doing all these things. We can't just think of the hypocrisy of saying, I'm not going to deliver rod to anybody that I know around here that needs it, but I'll go to Africa and to deliver the rod to those churches over there. I won't be nice to anybody over here, but I'll go over there and be super nice. Uh, what hypocrisy. And, and, not, and, and the truth is, you won't actually be those things. You won't be those things in any, any way of a powerful way if you're not doing them here. Uh, the last thing. Uh, you must not allow yourself to falter in sending or really in anything in your life just because the path is difficult. And you must not judge a path simply by the presence of opposition. Paul said that what he saw was both an open door and one full of enemies. The same door was both open and opposed. Same door, open and yet opposed. Don't listen to those who say, if it's God's will, it's going to be smooth. An open door doesn't always mean an easy door. God's will is not always the smooth path. You can't say because it's not smooth, it must not be His will. Sometimes God lines our way with opposition. Our job in that is to not abandon the journey, but to stay the course. If anything, from this passage in Paul, opposition is actually a positive sign. And think about it logically. I mean, so the the presence of the enemy does not mean the absence of God, right? The presence of the enemy does not mean the absence of God. The two are not mutually exclusive like some sort of magnet thing. If the enemy's there, God must not be. And if God's there, the enemy can't be. That's not how it works. If anything, the presence of the enemy is a good thing and a reason to encourage us to think, this might be exactly where we need to be. It was for Paul. Oh, this is exactly where I need to be. I'm seeing in Ephesus. Why? I've got an open door for effective ministry. It's filled with enemies. It's filled with them. Why could he say that? Because Satan has always opposed the plans of God, which means he always puts himself in the path of God. If the gates of hell are trying to block your way, that's a good sign that their kingdom is actually under assault and they're trying to block it. Which is why Paul said it was a place for effective ministry. Despite the fact of many enemies, this is going to be really effective. Why? There's a bunch of opposition. So that's designed actually going to be really effective. I'm going to stay here longer. Wait, a bunch of bad guys here. Bunch of opposition. In your life and in our sending, we must look for open doors. But we must not determine that a door is open simply because it is easy. And the same is true in your life. As you're seeing what to live, how to live, what to do, what choices you've made. Sometimes God's way isn't the path of least resistance but the path filled with resistance. This is true for missions, and it's true for everyday life. And if it's God's will, it'd be easy. Well, not according to Paul, or Job, or Jesus. 
Sometimes God opens doors that are jam-packed with opposition. But since the kingdom cannot be stopped, that also means that they are jam-packed with opportunities for victory and the power of the gospel. Let's pray. Let's ask a couple of questions of ourselves as we pray and we ask the Lord to help us apply what we promise to apply. First, as you pray, ask this, are, are you worth imitating? Think about this as you, as you go to the Lord. Uh, are you worth imitating? Uh, our church is, is worth imitating, again, not because it has certain practice, practices or certain programs that are really effective. Our church is worth imitating because of our people. Because of you. That was what will determine whether a church is worth imitating. And if each of us is worth imitating, then so will our church be. Are you worth imitating? Well, how can you do that? How can you be worth imitating? Well, repent and believe. That must be how we live. Is that how you live? When we talked about being worth imitating, was there a reason you went, I can't, don't imitate me. They shouldn't imitate me. It would not be good for those churches to imitate me. Why? What is it that you need to get rid of in your life? Repent. Repent of whatever that is. Get rid of it now. Is there something that should be in your life that's not? Believe. Say, Lord, I will do that. I believe you that I need that in my life. You say it in your word, I believe it. You tell us that you've revealed these things in your word so that we might know them and do them. I'm going to do them. Believe. And that'll make your life worth imitating. But, But the next time we sinned, If in this period of time you've known why you're not worth imitating and you held on to those things, that will be a cancer to our church. They'll they'll make the power of imitating less powerful. So don't don't do that. Don't be that. Be worth imitating. Are you practicing giving the right answers the right way? Are there areas where you are too weak in your faith to be firm in your delivery? Now, again, I'm, I'm not talking about being mean. But where you see a friend or a family member stuck under sin and yet you don't say anything but empty platitudes and, you know, trying to pull them out of the ditch with the the power of love or whatever. Sometimes God uses the rod of correction as a lever to lift the burden of sin off of someone who's been weighed down by it. You cannot see the rod as a mean thing. If you deliver the rod in a mean way, you're not imitating Paul, you're not imitating Christ. Sometimes the rod is exactly what your friend needs. They need that hard truth. You must care about them enough to give it. You must know them well enough to know that's what they need. Again, maybe you fall on the other side of the ditch. Maybe you're the one who, who uh, you, you only talk when the rod is needed. So the only time you talk to your family, the only time you get is when you're just frustrated. You're finally frustrated enough, you just got to say something. You never, you never deliver love in the spirit of gentleness. The only time you speak up is when you've had enough. And then you come in swinging the rod. Maybe your family only hears from you when things have gone into total disarray. There can be a, a false bravery in wild swings of a rod that is yet silent when the family deserves praise. It doesn't know how to give praise that doesn't know how to say things in love and in gentleness. Where you don't know how to give a gentle word to your kids 
You don't know how to give a gentle word to your wife. So all they hear about from, is from your failures. It's all they ever hear about from you. Ask God to give you wisdom, not just to know what to say, but to know how to say it. Ask him, say, God, give me the wisdom to know the right message and the right method. And to care enough about the people to give it and to, to, to be humble enough myself to not just worry about how that's going to make me feel. And then lastly, are there open doors or have there been open doors that are just too hard and so you shut them or you ignore them? Things you should be doing that you let the enemy figure out how many of himself he needs to put in your way before you stop. How many, how many adversaries does he need to put in your way before even though you know I should be doing this in my life, it just becomes too hard, you just quit. And even begin to think that the presence of the enemy means that God must not be there. Man, how we have misread so many doors in our lives. What a horrible trick of the enemy to make you think that if he is there, God is not. That has not been true since the garden. What door of obedience have you given up on because the opposition was too great? Because Satan refused to let you walk that good path in an easy way. The road of obedience is marked with opposition. And yet you allowed that opposition to cause you to quit. I need to be content. I need to be submissive. I need to make disciples. I need to talk to my friends about Christ as Lord. I need to read my Bible. I I need to pray. I need to pray with my wife. I need to pray for my wife. I need to pray with my kids. I need to pray for my kids. I need to discipline my children in the things of the Lord. Door after door after door open to what you should do. And it comes as you read the Word. But then you try to put it into practice. And Satan puts up some challenges in your path. And here you are, back to grumbling, back to complaining again, back to not doing what you need to do again. Because of what? Adversaries? That discouraged you? It should have encouraged you. It should have encouraged you. That this door is lined with the enemy. He's not going to line the path he wants you to go down. He's not going to oppose you going the wrong way. The Lord doesn't promise to surround us with the, 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 angel, uh, the, the, the angel of the Lord because around us isn't going to be opposition. He surrounds us, promises to surround us with his hosts because opposition is what we'll face. Instead, we go back to grumbling. We find ourselves complaining again. We find ourselves discontent. We find ourselves rebelling against God, against His Word. We find our Bibles collecting dust again because it was just too hard. And we thought, well, if, if it was God's will, it'd be easy. If all the enemy has to do is lie to you and not even stand in your way, What doors have you shot because the enemy got in your way? Repent and believe. Repent of stopping what you know you should have done and believe that no opposition can stand in your way. That he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion and nothing and no one, no matter how many, 
can stop that. Open doors are sometimes filled with opposition. Father, we come to you this morning, God, and we ask, Lord, for you to make us as a body worth imitating. We ask that in all of our lives, Father, you would have laid convictions down that we would all see areas where we need to, where we need to repent, things we, if we're like, it's not worth imitating me because of this, that, Father, we'd get rid of that. We'd say, well, I'm going to stop doing that because I need to be worth imitating. I need to be, people need to see Christ in me. They need to see that holiness that, that, that comes from, from you. They need to see these things. So, so Father, that we would repent uh, and that we would believe. If there's things we need to add to our lives, and we know, man, I really should be doing this. I should be doing that. I should be helping more with this, and I'm not. Like all those things, Father, that we would believe that whatever it is in our lives that that makes us not worth imitating, Father, we would fix those. Because it's your spirit that's convicting us of those things. We're not just happenstance thinking of the ways we're not imitable. It's your spirit showing us these, these failures, showing us these faults, showing us these fissures in our faith. So, Father, help us to believe. Help us to listen to you. And begin the path of being someone worth imitating. And Father, help us as we as we go uh, as we go and do uh, to go and do delivering the the right message with the right methods. Help us to to know the people care about them enough to deliver it the right way. To know whether or not the church is over there. Certain people might need a rod, and whether certain people might need a love and a spirit of gentleness. Help us to know that, and help us to be practicing that here, so we don't just say, "Oh, well, well I'll do that over there." But to be faithful with it here again, that's something that's going to make us worth imitating. Where we're delivering the rod when it's needed here, and also delivering love when it's needed here. That we're not proud of us for falling on either side of that. We're not proud because all we do is love and we're not proud because all we do is swing the rod. That, that we care enough about you and, and these image bearers of you to, to, to deliver the right message the right way. Help us, Father. And if any of us have, have, have ended up focusing on too much one side or the other, Father, convict us of that and show us that we must be both things. That there can be a laziness in always assuming the rod. There can be a laziness in, in only speaking up in love. We don't want to do that. And Father, help us to see, God, that sometimes an open door is filled with opposition. And that's not to discourage us, Father. That's to encourage us. That's not to cause us, that shouldn't cause us to shut the door. That can cause us to wonder, why is the enemy so concerned of me going this way? Why is he so concerned that I would do this? They would see the opposition as an opportunity. An opportunity for great victory in the kingdom. Please, Father, help us to see that. Help us to work that, believe that, not just over there, but here. Please do all these things, Father. We've said that all that you have spoken we will do. We know that we will only do that when you work it in us. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.